0: Good morning. It's so good to see each of you here this morning. Certainly we are appreciative of each one's presence here if you're visiting with us. Certainly we are appreciative of your presence. You are our honored guests and we do invite you back at any opportunity uh, that you might have uh, in front of you. Uh, Among our visiting number is uh, Jackson and Kate Rollo. It's certainly good to see them and their sweet daughter Rowan. Um, Jackson and I, I've known Jackson for, I don't know, probably 10, 11 years, way back to our high school days um, when I was living in Missouri at the time, but he and I ended up playing uh, high school basketball against each other um, in regional and national tournaments. Um, and I'll let you look at the two of us and figure out who won. Jackson stands like, a, I feel like sometimes it's like a foot taller than I am, uh, but it's good to see Jackson and his uh, his good family with us, uh, to have them here with us this morning. It's good to be back with you all, uh, at least on a Sunday. I feel like uh, my family and I have been traveling in and out over the p- past few weeks. Uh, it's always good to be back home. This past week, if we had an opportunity to go back to North Carolina, I had the opportunities to speak a handful of times at a youth rally there, and it was at the congregation where uh, I actually began my first work right out of uh, preaching school uh, to go. And it was good. so it was good to go back there. Good to be back uh, with a bunch of our our close friends and people that we uh, we hold near and dear to our hearts. It's also the congregation um, where I had an opportunity to work alongside my father uh, for a couple of years. So I've had the unique privilege to work both with my father and my father-in-law. Um, and I won't tell you which one's been a better experience. Um, kidding. Uh, both have been good. It's been good to, to be able to experience both of those. And certainly we are blessed here, uh, to be with each of you. I want to share one of the lessons that I presented there, uh, on, on one of those days with you this morning. And I I do so because of how much I appreciated the study uh, for myself and and my preparation, uh, my study for this particular lesson. I know you might be thinking, Caleb, it's a youth rally lesson. Why would you present it um, in a worship setting? And it's a good question, certainly a valid thought. But the way that I do youth rallies uh, is not really your typical cookie cutter style of youth rally. Um, What I did was I took all of the young people that were there. The theme was Be the Light out of Ephesians. Chapter Five, and I took them at least for the first two lessons, and we went straight to Ephesians Chapter Five, and I walked them through verses one all the way through verse fourteen, and I gave them a very textual study of exactly what Paul was trying to relay to the Ephesian brethren. And when I do youth rallies, I don't give them a bunch of illustrations, I don't give them a bunch of jokes or a bunch of uh, whatever you want to call it. And I know that's how a lot of people do youth rallies, but I do youth rallies pretty much the exact same way that I preach, and I take them straight to the text, and I think that that's beneficial for them. So this lesson was the very first lesson uh, from this past weekend where I had an opportunity to do a youth rally, and I hope that it's beneficial uh, to you. The theme was Be the Light, and this first lesson really just introduced the entire topic, and it was entitled, What is the Light? And I think that's very important, right? How are you and I supposed to know that we are to be the light if we don't even know what that means, if we don't even know what it is, uh, what the light in and of itself is? So as we walk through Ephesians chapter 5, I want to give you four words that will serve as our main point, serve as our observations for uh, this morning. They all begin with the letter C, the first one being this. I think it's very, very important for us when we ever study a passage of Scripture to always always know the context. I want to take you back to Ephesians chapter 5. Notice with me beginning in verse 1 what Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. When you look through the book of Ephesians, there are actually five walks that are recorded for us throughout this entire book. And really, we could do an entire series of lessons on each one of these walks. You look back to Ephesians chapter 2, you look there in verse 10, Paul implores the brethren. He says, I want you to make sure that you're walking in good works, that your life is living literally being lived out and you're producing this good fruit the fruit that I would want you and that God would want you to have in your life. You jump forward to chapter 4, he begins talking about walking in unity, walking worthy of the calling with which we were called and the way that we do that is by being a unified body of people. You get to chapter 5, that's what we just read a moment ago, the third walk, he says you and I need to ensure that we're walking in love. Later on in chapter 5 in verse 8, the theme of this youth rally that we did last weekend, it was uh, the idea of walking as children of light. And we're going to get more into that as we go on. But then you, later on in chapter five and verse 15, he talks about the idea of walking circumspectly or the idea of walking wise, making sure that we are living our lives and doing the things that we are supposed to be doing in the way that God would have us to do them. But in order to understand the one that we want to talk about, Ephesians chapter five and verse eight, walking as children of light, we actually need to back up to the very third walk, that being walking in love. And it's important for us to understand the context because when when you think about what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5. He begins in verse 1 by talking about this idea of making sure that we are first imitating Almighty God now we are patterning our lives after what God would have us to do the way that Jesus Christ lived his life here on this earth and the way that we do that you jump into verse 2 is by doing what is by walking in love well what does that look like God what does it look like to make sure that I am living my life as someone who is walking in love well essentially it looks like the sacrifice of Jesus doesn't it there is no greater definition of love than what God has done for us that giving his son to us all of this happened because of God's love for us. What did Jesus say in John chapter 3 and verse 16? For God so loved the world that he did what? What does your love look like? That he gave his only begotten son. You jump ahead in the New Testament to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. John said, by this we know love. How? What does it look like, John? Because he laid down his life For us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So God, you've shown us what your love looks like, and you and I understand we are to reciprocate our love back towards God. You know, when you think about a relationship, what do they say? They say it takes two to tango, right? It takes two people having, uh, giving forth effort on both sides. When you think about a marriage, a marriage is only successful when both husband and wife are putting forth the diligent effort to be who they're supposed to be, and that marriage. That is the only way that marriage will survive. That is the only way that marriage will be successful. Well, the exact same thing is, can be is true when it comes to a relationship with God. God has already done His part. God has already done more than what you and I could ever do. But the rest is left up to us. You and I are to be obedient on our part, faithful on our part in our relationship with God in order for this relationship to be successful. And so because his love, this love that he has shown to us, the love that we show back, there must be application that takes place. If I'm going to try to imitate God in verse one, through myself walking in love, verse two, then there's going to be things from which I must refrain. There's going to be things in my life that I must get out of my life because they're not necessary for me in order to be successful. Back in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 all the way through verse 33, Jesus talks about the importance of counting the cost. And you remember what he said there in in this illustration? He says, a man doesn't try to go build a tower without first looking at his resources, does he? A man doesn't try to begin a building project without first looking at all of the things that he has available to him to ensure that he can be successful in building this project. He then goes on and talks about a man who's leading his army into battle. And he says, you're not going to go into battle without first looking at your own resources, without first looking at what you have available to you to make sure that you can be successful. And in verse 27, he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then you jump to verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Look, something that you and I have to understand is this. Being a Christian is hard, isn't it? Being a Christian is difficult. Being a Christian takes so much dedicated effort and hard work. Being a Christian takes great sacrifice. Being a Christian takes great transformation. Romans chapter 12, verses one and verse two. But just as there is a high cost in following after Christ, We have to understand that not following after Christ is going to cost us so much more. That's the point of what Paul is trying to get across here in these first few verses. A New Testament Christian who is striving to imitate God is going to turn away from all of these sinful behaviors that are in the world, from all of the sins and the desires and the lustful things that our world throws at us, from all of the things that have infiltrated our education and our entertainment, all of these things. We say no. Why? Because if we don't, if you and I freely and if we willingly partake in all of these sinful and all of these wicked behaviors, things that put Jesus Christ on the cross, then we are not going to be people, verse 5 who inherit the kingdom of Almighty God. Notice what he says in verse 6. Let no one deceive you, Paul says to these Ephesian brethren. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What is the warning, Paul? What's the admonition that you are giving, not only to these brethren to whom you are writing, but to us as students today? What is what is the warning? The warning is don't be deceived by the people who are in the world. Paul says don't be deceived by someone when talking to you and making you think that these things, go back to verse 3 and verse 4, what he's talking about, don't think that those things are pleasing and acceptable in the sight of Almighty God, because these are things that are going to make you miss out on the kingdom of heaven. Don't let someone tell you otherwise. There's a reason why Paul penned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, evil company corrupts good morals. There's a reason why he wrote that. He didn't write it just because it's a good verse for us to memorize or a good verse for us to tell our children, but it's because it's important to know, don't spend your time with these kinds of people. Paul says, don't spend your time with the people that I'm talking about here in verse three and verse four, because they're going to have a negative influence on you and your life. But then not only because you may end up being deceived by these people, but also because he says there that the wrath of God is going to come upon them. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2 and you look there in verse 3, the people in Ephesus were literally described not only as people who were living in lust, not only as people who were fulfilling their fleshly desires, but Paul calls them that they were by nature children of wrath. These people were a people that belonged to a group of society that was going to receive the wrath and the judgment of Almighty God. I'm reminded of several accounts in the Old Testament that depict this very thing for us about the wrath of God. I go back to Genesis chapter 3, and I think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how because of their disobedience, they understood the wrath of God, didn't they? They were kicked out of the most beautiful and most perfect place that was ever on this planet. I think about the flood in Genesis chapter six, because of their wickedness, They truly felt the wrath of God, didn't they? God destroyed the world by water. Genesis chapter 19. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities who were so utterly wicked, two cities who were so twisted and demented in their mind and in their thought process, destroyed by sinfulness and ultimately destroyed by brimstone and fire from Almighty God because of his wrath. Leviticus chapter 10, think about Nadab and Abihu and their profane fire that they offered as worship to Almighty God. They were consumed, they were destroyed because of the wrath of Almighty God. You see, we are not exempt from the wrath of God, are we? Just because we live under a different dispensation or just because we live in a different time period than the people in the Old Testament did. God is just as severe and as just and as wrathful today as he was then, but he also expects faithful obedience just as much today as he did back then. Notice verse 7. Paul says, therefore, because of all of these things, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul is begging them. Paul is admonishing them to remember what he has just told them. He says, I want you to imitate God. I want you to walk in love, and I want you to do all of these things by refraining from living like the world around you. We're talking about the city of Ephesus. The these, these people who were there at that time, it was a city that was so overtaken with sexual perversion. In fact, it reminds, me, reminds all of us, much like this country in which we live now, the roman goddess venus or the greek counterpart uh, aphrodite it was considered to be the goddess of love the goddess of beauty of sex desire and fertility and so what people do is they would gather around these shrines they would gather around these gods and they would commit all kinds of sexual abominations and perversions things that were despicable in the sight of almighty god there's a reason why when Paul listed these things in verse three and verse four, they seem to be sexual in nature because it is what these people were dealing with and is to what these people were exposed. It sounds a whole lot like America, doesn't it? A country that has completely washed its moral compass down the toilet. A a country that has twisted sexuality, a a country that that has taken the act of sex itself and turned it into something for which it was never meant, fornication, both heterosexual and homosexual. The the, the gender issues that we face, the, the mental trauma that things like this have caused, what a mess it is in which we find ourselves, and yet how comforting it is to be able to go back to the Apostle Paul. And to see things like what he's writing to these brethren, to know that we can persevere through. Paul implores them, don't be like these people. Escape from the wrath of Almighty God. Because Paul is telling them, look, when you share in their sin, it means you're going to share in their consequences too. Don't be like these people. And the point he's making is this, don't just distance yourself from these people. But he says, make absolutely sure that there is a distinct separation between you and them. That's what takes us to point number two, contrast. There's a very stark contrast here that Paul talks about beginning in verse 8. You know, when you talk about contrast, we're talking about a stark difference between one of two things, aren't we? Uh, When when I think about a contrast, I think about the the soda Dr. Pepper, and this is a very childish uh, illustration, but it makes sense in my mind. Because I think about Dr. Pepper, and then I think about every other drink that is out there that attempts to be a soda, okay? When I lived in North Carolina, they had this drink called Cheerwine. It was like this cherry-flavored dark soda. It was pitiful. It was nasty. Um, There's a big difference between that. When I lived in Pulaski, south of Nashville, it was the sun drop capital of the world. And sun drop is like a knockoff Mountain Dew. Um, And that was terrible too. And so when I think about Dr. Pepper, there's a stark contrast, isn't there between Dr. Pepper and between all of these other things that try to be soda. When you think about sports, right, there's a stark contrast between Michael Jordan and between LeBron James. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to have ever lived. And that probably ever will live. And then you have LeBron James, who's all the way down here. The idea of a stark contrast, right? You understand what I'm saying. Two things that are very, very different. Well, that's the whole idea that Paul is talking about here when he gets into Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. There's a very vivid contrast, first between those people who he calls Are in darkness. Well, who is that? Who would be considered to be people of darkness? Notice what he says in verse eight. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are children of light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were once in darkness, Paul says. But now our light in the world, obviously, if you are in the Lord, if you are in the light, then you cannot be someone who is in the darkness. So what is this darkness? You know, when we talk about the idea of darkness all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Bible, it has always come to associate with the idea of sin. It's always come to associate with the idea of Satan, with the idea of a separation from Almighty God, of not being in fellowship or being in a relationship with Almighty God. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because how is God described for us? In 1 John chapter 1, and verse 5, the Bible says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. John, what is this message? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Where light exists, there can be no darkness. God is light, and within him is no darkness. And so when we are children of light, when we are the light itself, we are in fellowship with the one who is also light himself. But when we separate ourselves, When we sin and we willfully put that separation between us and our relationship with God, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, that light goes away. And so when light is not present, Darkness has a place to exist. In fact, this idea of darkness, again, is used in a negative light all throughout the Bible. Let's keep this in our immediate context. Go back to chapter four. Notice beginning of verse 17. This I say, Paul says, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding, notice this, darkened, being alienated from the life of God, which because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, Verse nineteen: Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, darkness being associated with ignorance, that which would separate us from a relationship with Almighty God. Notice chapter five, uh, jumping down to verse eleven. He says, "And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of what? Of darkness." but rather expose them. John chapter 3 and verse 19. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, but notice this, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put, notice this, darkness for light and light for darkness, and who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What's the point? The point is is that darkness is the complete opposite of light god is light and we have been called to be in the light we have been called by paul to literally be the light and so we can conclude by logical reasoning that as christians we should not want to have anything to do with the darkness but then second as we consider this contrast notice the differences between now this group of people who are the darkness but who have contrasted themselves and to a group of people who are now the light. Notice that when Paul describes them here in verse 8, he doesn't just call them, describe them as people who are in the light, but people who literally are the light. Paul is reminding them of this, admonishing them to continue walking as children of light. They they didn't always walk this way, did they? And we're going to get to this idea here in just a moment, but they had changed their lives. The sacrifice of Jesus, the blood that he shed on the cross had literally transformed their lives from being in complete and total darkness to now being able to live their lives literally as beacons of light, shining towards those who were in the darkness. Remembering where they were living in Ephesus, right? A place that was so full of perversion, a place that was so full of evilness and wickedness. Certainly they were shining bright in their community. Several passages come to mind again, staying in our context. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Notice beginning in verse 18. Paul says, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Enlightened that you may know what? Know truth, that you may know knowledge, that you may know what God would have you to do. Jump back to Ephesians chapter 5 again, verse 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Being light is doing that which is pleasing to almighty God. And we're talking more about that later as well. I think about Colossians chapter one, beginning of verse 12, Paul says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Notice where they are. In the light, verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you know this verse well. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When we are in the light, but also literally the light. You and I are able to enjoy things that no one else can, aren't we? In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Brothers and sisters, only in Christ are you and I able to enjoy things like true peace. Only in Christ are you and I able to enjoy things like true joy, like true hope, like true salvation. Find those anywhere else. You can't find it. You're going to come up empty. Go to any other religion in this world. You won't be able to find it. Go to a denomination, a man-made creed or doctrine. You won't be able to find those things. Only in Christ, only as the light, are we blessed. With having access to these things it's a constant reminder at least it should be that the light in christ the light that we are to be it offers us something that you and i could never offer ourselves notice ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 paul says this and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, again, notice the past tense, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works, and the sons of disobedience, verse three, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. Notice the language that Paul uses going back to verse one, they were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse two, walking to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, he describes them as sons of disobedience. Verse three, lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. What does this describe? Someone who is in complete and total darkness somebody's life who has been given over in complete totality to the way of the world. It describes so many people in our world today, and guess what? It described each of us who are sitting here today before we ever came into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. But what happened? What allowed this transition to take place? Notice beginning in verse 4, but God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? But Almighty God, our creator, our savior, our sustainer. Notice what he does. Notice how he's described who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, verse six, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If it was not for the almighty, being so rich in grace, being so rich in mercy, being so rich in love, then without a shadow of a doubt, you and I would still be dead in our trespasses. But thanks be to God who has given us the opportunity to be made alive together with him in Christ Jesus. Notice Second Corinthians chapter 4. Go back a few pages with me. Second Corinthians chapter 4, notice what Paul says here. His second letter to the church at Corinth, notice what he says, beginning in verse 1. Second Corinthians chapter 4 beginning on verse 1 Therefore since we have this ministry as we have received mercy we do not lose heart But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest notice how it's described the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God should shine on them time and time and time again, brothers and sisters, we are shown the goodness and the mercy of almighty God who has so graciously allowed us to come out of the darkness and to be born into his light. I think it's important to cover one more thing before we move on. Notice back in Ephesians chapter five in the beginning of verse eight, how he talks, how he literally describes these individuals. He says, you were once in darkness. Paul's referencing the past life of these individuals, these Christians who are in Ephesus, how at one time in their life, They used to be caught up in all of these sins, all of those sexual perversions, all of the lusts of the flesh, the things that Paul literally describes for them. They were things that they used to partake in. Again, think back to Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, what we read just a moment ago, those who were dead in trespasses. Notice, continue reading in verse 11. What does he say? Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ. They were in the darkness, weren't they? Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What's the point of all these verses? When you look at all these verses on the screen, what's the point of, of, of looking at what Paul is talking about? They all depict a former and a past life, one that was so engulfed in sin, one that was so engulfed in total and complete darkness. And yet the light of God is so powerful. If you take the light that God has and you couple it with a life that is filled with faithful obedience to him and to his will, it can drown out the darkness As if it were never even there. Walking as children of light, participating with the disobedient in their sins are incompatible behaviors. You may have done, I I don't know everybody's situation here. I don't know everything that everybody's gone through or is going through. You may have done some terrible and some horrible things at some point in your life. I don't know what maybe you are struggling with today. You may have done something that maybe even our society would think is horrible and despicable. I don't know. But what I do know is this, it doesn't matter what you have done, and it doesn't matter how completely engulfed in darkness you may have been or you may even feel right now, there is a way out of it. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 13, notice what Paul says. He says, but now in Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood has done something for us that you and I could never do for ourselves. Never, ever forget that. And thanks be to God for that. Notice number three, the word character. I think it's important to remember who the immediate audience of this letter is. Again, we're talking about citizens who were in Ephesus, right? People who at a time were not New Testament Christians. We just talked about the fact of how they were once in darkness. Verse 6, their identity was that of sons of disobedience. They were people who at one time could care less about Jesus Christ. At one time, they could care less about the gospel and about his church, and all they cared about at one time was giving in to their lusts and giving in to their fleshly desires. They were ignorant of salvation. They were polluted in sin. They were engulfed in this darkness. Sounds, again, a lot like modern-day America, doesn't it? It's important, I think, to notice this. They weren't just in the darkness, but just as Paul describes us as literally people who are the light, notice how he describes them as literally people who are the darkness. They weren't just in darkness. See, each of us are in the darkness in that we live in our world, don't we? We live in a time where it is so dark in this world. We are surrounded by darkness. We are living in it, but Paul says that these people literally are the darkness. They were sinners. They were alienated from God. They had no relationship with him. That's what being in darkness is. That's what being darkness is. But it's all changed for them, hasn't it? They used to identify as being darkness, but now they're on the other side of that contrast. While when they were living in sin, they didn't know where to go. They had no light to guide them. They didn't know where to go and they were completely lost. Understand every single person who's here, that that's what sin does to us, isn't it? It leaves us in a place of not knowing where to go. Sin blinds us from the light. It blinds us from doing what God has called us to do. It blinds us from being an example to those who are around us. Sin literally distorts our vision, and it makes us begin to think illogically. It makes us begin to compromise in ways that you and I never thought that we would. But when you come into the fold of Jesus Christ, everything completely changes because now you can see. That's what the light does for you. Psalm 119 verse 105, that word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God and his word lights the way for every single person in our world if they would just simply, humbly submit to him. But not only were these Christians in Ephesus, not only were they the light, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, individuals called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light, not only were they in the light as that they were a part of the family of God as baptized believers, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, but Paul literally describes them as children of light. It was who they were. It encompassed their entire existence. It, it, it was that which defined them. It was who they were and their purpose as to why they were here on this earth. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives to all who are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Like I said earlier, they had literally become beacons of light in their world. And much like back in the old days, whenever the lighthouses would shine out so that the ships would know where to go and know where not to go, so were these Christians. Let me offer this to you as we close this point out. Let us be very, very careful. As you and I are considering this idea of being the light, that we would ensure that we are not emitting or producing our own light. Let us be very, very sure Christians, that the light that we produce is light that simply reflects off of us, light that comes from Jesus Christ, and it is not our own light that we are showing. You see, you and I have no light to shine, do we? You and I have really nothing to offer, nothing to give this world. We have no guidance to offer this world of anything that we could come up with in ourselves, because at one point we too needed that light. At one point, we too were in darkness. At one point, we too needed Jesus Christ, and certainly today we still need him. But I consider what, John, what Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12, one of the seven I am statements that Jesus made, where he said, beginning of verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There's a reason why Jesus said back in Matthew 5 and verse 16, glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not you, not yourself, not the things that you want, but glorify your Father. Number four, notice the command as we close this lesson out. Paul is very blunt, isn't he? And really he's blunt just as, just as an author, just as a writer. As, as, he, as he begins writing to these Christians, Paul's always been like that. Paul never sugarcoated anything, did he? He didn't beat around the bush. He simply gave them what they needed. He would call them out. He would tell them like it is, and he would tell them, you need to change, and here's how you do it. And so he continues this thought about being the light by essentially saying this, this is now your daily way of living. This is now how you walk through this life as someone who is the light, as someone who is completely and totally engrossed with being this way. In fact, the Greek word here is in the present imperative form. So in other words, what that means is this is a continual action. This is something that is habitual. It's not a five minute walk in the light and then you can go back to the darkness. This is something that you do for your entire life. This is literally who you are as a Christian. Look, you and I have to understand this. This is a conscious choice, isn't it? made by each of us as individuals. I hope that as an individual here this morning, present in our, in a worship service, that you made the choice to be here. I hope you made the choice to be here because you wanted to be here, because you wanted to glorify God, because you wanted to worship God. But I don't know your heart. I don't know where your mind is at. And it could be That maybe you're here this morning only because you felt like you were going to get a call from somebody if you weren't present. Maybe you're here this morning only because you felt like you had to do it and you didn't really want to, but you're able to check this box off. And when you leave these doors, you can now go back to doing whatever it is that you want to do. I don't know what it is for you. Whatever the case is, however, is this, if you want to be a faithful Christian, if you want to be someone who is zealous, someone who is on fire for serving God and for others, you have to personally make that decision. Your parents can't make it for you. Your grandparents can't make it for you. Your elders can't make it for you. Your preacher can't make it for you. If you and I are going to walk as children of light, as Paul commands, We have to make that choice for ourselves. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Most certainly, brothers and sisters, we are living amidst a crooked and perverse generation, are we not? One that seems to have everything backwards, one that has seemed to replace good with evil and darkness with light. But certainly, while living amidst a generation like this, we can be the light, can we not? We can fulfill the command that Paul has given us in Ephesians chapter 5 to walk as children of light, to be an example in this very, very dark world. And I hope that that is the case for every single one of us this morning. That as we live our lives, as we participate in our activities, as we socialize with our friends and family, that no matter where we are, no matter who we are around, you and I would, would be walking as children of light. Maybe you're here this morning, perhaps you are not yet part of that family of God. Maybe you aren't the light because you haven't given your life over to him and you haven't submitted your life to him through baptism. Know that you can change that this morning. You can come forward a penny of your sins, confessing Christ's precious name, and we can baptize you into water. That water representing Jesus' shed blood, washing your sins away, and you can go on your rejoicing, knowing that now you are a child of light. Or maybe you're here this morning, perhaps as someone who once was a child of light, but maybe you've seen back into the darkness. Maybe you've gone back into your past way of living and maybe there's sin in your life and you need to get things right. You need to repent of those things and you know that you need to do that. Why not tonight? Why not today? Why why not make that decision to give your life back over to Almighty God? Each of us have a choice to make. Each of us have a responsibility to our own soul. Each of us have a responsibility to God. And I hope that we make the right choice this morning. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas 76262. Or you can visit our website at org. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.